chapter 16, where we see that man looks at the, the externals, but it is God who looks and examines the heart, and God alone who does so. Here this morning, we are getting an expose on what the heart looks like as certain things take hold of it. Let us turn our attention to the story where we find ourselves is that David is fresh off of slaying the champion of, the champion of Gath, Goliath, and he has returned home, and this is what happens shortly thereafter. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the woman came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and he came in before the people, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel loved David. For he went out and he came in before them. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit into our midst. Father, that you would send your spirit into our hearts to change us by your word. Father, that we would see the wonder of the riches that we have in Jesus Christ, that we would find our joy and rest in him and in him alone. In his name we pray, amen. It was a fierce battle that had occurred in the city council. You see, the city had decided to declare imminent domain on a region in order to have a new road go through the town. However, but the townspeople came to the city council quite angry and were, were adamantly opposed to it because there was this enormous, gigantic, ancient tree, probably a couple hundred years old, in the middle of the town where they were going to drive this road through. And so the people were, were objecting to the town building this road because this meant that this tree was going to have to be torn down. It was a tree that people had had many memories by. Those that grew up in the town, everyone could remember at least one point playing by it or at least getting their picture taken in front of it. Well, eventually, the town council went forward and decided to cut the thing down, and this is what they found. Is that what had happened is that there was rot that had begun on the inside of this tree that nobody knew about. And it looked strong, it looked vibrant, it looked healthy. But year by year, day by day, week by month, decade by decade, this rot began to eat away. It began to gnaw. 
It began to devour. It began to destroy the very core and center in the life of this giant tree that from the outside looked so great and so strong. I wish I was just simply telling you the story and the struggle of one city council, but actually what I've just given you a picture of is really the story of my own life. Is that there was this time in my life for many years when I struggled deeply with where it was that I found my own sense of worth, where I found my own sense of meaning, and where I found my own sense of value. And I sought to find it by working hard, by being successful, by trying to get other people to like me. But what was going on at the same time is that inside of my soul, there was this rot that began eating away, that began chewing it apart, that began taking out different, different chunks that grew and grew, a rot of jealousy that was fueled by other people's successes, that when I saw that, it just ate away a little bit more. When I saw relationships that other people had, it would just eat away a little bit more. When I saw the security that certain people had in their life and how well their life was going, there was this jealousy that continued to eat away and eat away at my insides. See, jealousy is this idea. Jealousy could be described as a frustrated passion to have something which belongs to another. It is a discontentment with the lot that God has given us in life. Now, there's a couple different words that uh, are sometimes used interchangeably with jealousy. There's the word envy. There's the, words, there's the word covet or covetousness. And if you look up these words in the dictionary, you look them up in the biblical dictionary, all of those dictionaries and biblical dictionaries will tell you that each of them have a distinct meaning, and the meanings that they give are internally coherent within that one book, meaning they make sense... They make sense with each other in that dictionary. However, if you use a different dictionary, it makes sense in that dictionary, and the two of them are not interchangeable with each other. But what we see in the biblical usage of these words of jealousy, envy, covetousness, is that there's a significant range of overlap between them, and somewhat, and somewhat, and, and many times they're used interchangeably. But envy does have a little bit more of the emphasis of wanting what somebody else has. I'm envious of their success. I'm envious of that pair of shoes. I'm envious of something that someone else possesses. Jealousy does seem to have a bit more of the nuance, not only of wanting what someone else has, but a resentment of that person because they have it. And in addition to a resentment of that person, there is also a fear that I am going to lose something in my life, that something in my life is going to be taken away. Now, of course, there are... Not all jealousy is wrong. There are things that one possesses that do not belong to another and should not belong to another. For example, the love and affection of one spouse towards another spouse. There is a good and right jealousy on that. But what you can see what happens is that you can have the jealousy of a wife for her husband's affection, which can be good. And part of the reason why she has that jealousy is because there is a fear of loss. There is a fear that that... that and again, not necessarily a wrong fear, but a fear that that affection is going to go somewhere else. But then you can have somebody else, another woman, for example, who wants that same, that same man's affection. And she is jealous of his affection, jealous of the affection that he gives to his wife, and resentful and bitter towards her that she is the one that has it. 
So jealousy kind of combines these elements of wanting what somebody else has, resenting the person that has it, and also an aspect of a fear of individual loss. Now, when we turn to Saul, what we see here is an exposure of how jealousy takes root in our lives and begins to rot away our souls. Now, what was Saul so jealous of? We had just seen that Saul was unwilling to go out and battle Goliath, and David has come fresh off of Goliath's beheading. And the text tells us in verse 5 that after David had been made a commander of the army, it says David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. At this time, so what's happening is that David has success wherever Saul sends him. It's success for David. It's good for David. It's success for Saul. It's good for Saul. Saul's army is winning battles. Saul's kingdom is expanding. Saul's, Saul's throne is more secure. But notice what happens next. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the woman came out of the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And when the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens of thousands, and Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. Well, what has happened here? That Saul thought that David was receiving the praise that was reserved for him. Actually, Saul is completely wrong. Because what the women should have been singing is that they should have been singing praises to God for God's deliverance of God's people. That's what the women should have been doing. And these women, as they're singing this, they are singing in a way that is no different than how the women of Philistine would have sung had their champion, Goliath, returned home successful. It is not a song of faith that should be coming from the people of God. Nonetheless, that's what they sing. And this begins to fuel, fan the flames of jealousy inside, the, inside of Saul. And we see the first symptom of jealousy in Saul, which is this. The first symptom of jealousy is that you are disturbed by other people's success. You're disturbed by their success. Because for David and his relationship with Saul, if David's success reflected well on Saul, Saul was happy. If David's success diminished Saul in some way, the fires of jealousy were lit. And the songs of these women just simply fanned the flames. Saul wants what David has, the praise of the people, and Saul is fearful that he is going to lose the kingdom, and he is going to, that he is going to lose the kingdom to David. You see, in Saul's world, Saul had to be number one. Other people could not be better than him in any area. Other people could not get more recognition than him. It's a little bit like Vladimir Putin a couple years ago when he on his birthday decided to play hockey. I'm sure you heard about this, did you not? It was amazing. The score of the game was 15 to 10, and Putin himself scored seven goals. It was remarkable. Someone who couldn't stand not to be number one. And so it is that for Saul, as people were singing David's 
praises. His days were filled with this endless comparison of who's up and who's down. And the songs, the songs stirred Saul's jealousy and fanned those flames. In my own life, it wasn't so much that I had the need to be number one because I really wanted to beat other people. It was that I had this need to be one another one because within myself and some sort of weird distorted thinking, I had convinced myself that I would not be accepted, that I would not be approved, that people wouldn't want to be my friend unless I was number one. So as long as I was better than everyone else, I was doing okay. But no matter what I did, there was always someone somewhere who was better than me. And it began to burn with jealousy. And bitterness and envy and the rot of that that began to consume more and more of my life. And so if I had friends or family members who excelled at something or, or beat me in some activity, is that there was this bitterness that I had towards them. Is that I was disturbed by the success that God had given to them. And inside of me, the rot continued to eat just a little bit more and a little bit more. When I was in middle school, when I was in high school, the way that it looked like then was that I wanted to have friends. I wanted to be accepted. I looked at groups of other friends and would say, and even though I had good friends, I would say, why don't my friends look like that? Why don't my friends relate to me the way that they relate to that other person? And I would see that, and the rot of jealousy and that insecurity would eat away a little bit more, a little bit more, disturbed by the good relationships that other people had. For some of us here, your story is very similar to what I've described. For others, your story is not similar to that at all. Yet, nonetheless, you still, not infrequently, find yourself comparing yourself to other people. Comparing yourself to other people that when you walk into a room, ladies, when you walk into a room of other women, that you immediately are assessing yourself how you compare to the other women in the room. How does my body look compared to their body? How do my clothes look compared to their clothes? Am I smarter? Do they know more? Are they better parents? Are they a better mom? Is their life more in control? Have they got it together? And I go, we go into those rooms, and guys do it in a different way. But you go into those rooms and you assess your relationships and you assess the people and you say, okay, they're here, I'm here, uh, I'm here, they're there. And you do this in this realm of comparison in the world that you put yourself in. And he has this feeling that I never quite feel acceptable enough. I'm never worthy enough. I'm never likable enough. I'm hesitant to engage in relationship with other people because I'm fearful that they won't like me, that they won't accept me. And in our lives, the people who stir up the most jealousy for us are not the people who are the most radically different from us, but actually the people who are the most similar. It's not the people who are most radically different. Like, I am not jealous of Donald Trump, for example, okay? I, I'm not jealous of, 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 you know, some other famous people. Like, with Donald Trump, like, I may wonder about what it would be like to have his money because it's completely incomprehensible to me what it would like for one person to have that much money. I may wonder about this, but I'm, I'm not jealous of Donald Trump. But where jealousy really starts to light itself is with people who are most similar to you or who are most similar to you at one stage of life. It's why siblings, grown siblings, years, decades after they have left the house in tension with one another, you know, one of them says to the other one, you know what, mom always loved you more than she loved me. She always loved you more than she loved me. And there's a jealousy over that affection of someone who was most similar to you. 
or you have someone who is your peer. You get hired into the workplace, you both get hired at the same time, and after a while, that peer gets promoted ahead of you. And maybe that peer actually gets, becomes your supervisor and your boss. And you're irate about it. You're disturbed by another person's success. And you say, this isn't a matter of jealousy. It's not, I'm not jealous about it. He can have it if he wants to. I'm not jealous about it. It's a matter of justice. You see, because what has happened here is that everyone can see that he's here and I'm here. And everyone can see that the blessings that have been upon this person, if they were willing to examine the evidence, everybody would know that I should get this blessing, not this other person. And there's this jealousy and this bitterness and this rot that continues to eat away at our hearts and eat away at our souls. It's this reason why going to high school and college reunions are such awful things, and you should never do it in your life, right? Like you're there just to compare yourself with how everyone's doing 10 years, 5 years, 20 years, 15, 30 years later. How's everybody doing? It's so great to catch up to see where I rank, and if I'm on top, that's awesome. So it is. First symptom of jealousy, being disturbed by another's success. The second symptom of jealousy is being delighted by others' misfortune. And when that goes to an extreme form, it gets expressed in plotting, plotting and scheming another person's demise. And it's grounded in the ugly, self-centered focus that goes on without restraint. It, jealousy becomes this all-consuming thing that loses touch with reality, progressively devouring, bite by bite, more by more, rotting away. You know, other sins, other sins such as anger or lacking self-control, for example, you know, these sins generally don't last that long. But jealousy fumes, it stews, it quietly seethes and plots destruction, it connives, it nags, it gnaws like a cancer of jealousy and envy, turning into bitterness and anger, and eventually, in some forms, turning into hatred, and in the extreme, erupting into uncontrolled violence. And that's what we see in the life of Saul, delighted by others' misfortune. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand. This verse just always cracks me up. It's kind of like the horror movies, you know? It's like, don't open the door, right? You go into the, in the court, and Saul is standing there raving with a spear in his hand. Nonetheless, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. What's happening? Saul's jealousy has been growing. He says, I'm going to pin David to the wall. How on earth does that make sense? It's because the jealousy, as it delights another person's misfortune, it distorts our thinking. It twists our view of reality so that we lose touch with reality. And Saul's thinking, you know what? I am jealous of him. I hate him. I can't stand him. If I kill him, then people will be forced to like me more than him because he won't be here anymore. His heart has become consumed by one thing. Nothing else matters. His thinking has become increasingly distorted, and we'll see this in the upcoming weeks, that Saul's jealousy will expand to include very twisted schemes enmeshing other family members, including his own daughter. It turns into unreasoning passion, that no matter the evidence, it just simply does not matter. 
and he is convinced that he is thinking quite clearly. Jonathan, his son, in subsequent chapters says to his dad, Dad, how are you so angry at David? Why do you hate him? All he has done has been to save your life. All he has done is to serve you. Everything that he has done has been to benefit you. How are you so opposed to him? Why do you hate him so much? And at that point, Saul not only turns on David, but he also turns on his own son, Jonathan. And it turns into this unsatiated hatred for David, for one who has shown nothing but pledged and demonstrated his loyalty to him. Delighted by others' misfortune in extreme forms, even plotting it. Maybe for us, that's a little bit too strong. Maybe that's a little bit, that feels a little bit too strong to think that a jealousy in our life could go so far as to actively harm another person or to be delighted in their misfortune. But imagine that you're an athlete. You're the parent of an athlete who wants to get a college scholarship for athletics. And throughout your career, throughout your playing days, there has been one person who has been your nemesis. That every time when you meet together in the championship game, you prepare, you practice, you know that you're going to see this person, and what happens, he bests you again, and he bests you again, and he bests you again and again and again. So you're going into the championship game. You know that the college scouts are going to be there. And then all of a sudden, you hear that in warm-ups, their star player, your nemesis, gets hurt and torn ACL, and your thought is, yes, I mean, is he okay? Is he okay? I mean, oh, okay. But you're going, yes, delighted by another person's misfortune. Or in your workplace, there's a person that's in a position that you don't think should be in that position. And they start getting some wrong criticism and some wrong flack for things that they didn't do. And you see that and you hear that, you know what, I could do something. But you know what, it's about time. You know, I mean, he's gotten so many breaks. It's about time that he got something bad coming to him. A delight in other people's misfortune. Jealousy, where a heart becomes consumed by one thing, nothing else will ever, ever, satisfied, ever satisfy. Delighted in their misfortune, even in their dis- demise. I think when we see this picture of how this is continuing to eat away at the life of Saul, examples how it's eaten away in my own life, I think it's a great picture of the flaw that you can see or the flaw that gets exposed in the well-intentioned self-esteem movement that is so prevalent in our schools, so prevalent in our workplaces, so prevalent in, in, television, in television, so prevalent in the books that we read, so prevalent in all these things that there's someone who's feeling down, feeling low, and the answer is, well, they need to build up their self-esteem. This person doesn't think well of themselves. But 99.9% of the time, that's not the issue. Sometimes it's jealousy, other times it's something else, but the picture's the same. Consider what would happen for Saul if people said to Saul, Saul, come on, man, get a grip on reality. David's not against you. He's for you. He is loyal to you. He makes you more successful. He's not trying to take your position, plus the fact you're the king. You can do whatever you want. You've got more money, more power, more accolades than any person in the entire than any person in the entire kingdom. Look how successful you've been. Look at all that you've accomplished. It is more stable now than it ever has been before. Come on, Saul, stop being so down on yourself. Would any of that have mattered to Saul? Not at all. Not at all. Why? 
because his heart was enwrapped in jealousy. And that was the one thing that mattered. For me in my own, own life, it didn't matter how successful I was. It didn't matter how well I was doing or how many friends I had, because if somebody else was better than me, or at least I thought they were, I felt worthless. And my life was filled with jealousy and with fear and with anxiety and with bitterness and this rot that continued to go on inside of me. And yes, if a peer failed or someone I loved dearly failed, outwardly I'd be saying, yeah, I'm really, I'm really sorry. But inwardly I'd be saying, oh, maybe I've got a chance. Maybe, maybe now I've got a chance. Second symptom of jealousy, delight in other people's misfortune. But the greatest tragedy and the greatest tragedy of jealousy is to miss the grace of God. For us, when we see other people who are blessed, who are very successful, we don't immediately credit that to the working of God's grace in their life. I think what we immediately credit that to is to say, well, okay, that is a reward for hard work. They were a hard worker, that's what they get. Or we say, that person got a lucky break. Or if we don't like it, we say, what an injustice. I can't believe, I can't believe that they got that. But we don't look at it as a matter of, generally, as a matter of God, the sovereign God, the Lord of the universe, pouring his blessing, pouring his grace out on other people, on them, and on us. And the reality of the situation is that if God wanted me to be in a different situation in life, he would put me there. If God wanted me to have the money of Donald Trump, he would give it to me. But the God, who is a loving Heavenly Father, has put me right where he has put me because he loves me and he cares about me. And he watches over me. But here's what happens with Saul. Is that Saul, it says repeatedly, knew that the reason why David was so blessed and so successful was because of God's working in his life. It wasn't some idea that, I mean, I think for most of us that if we thought about it and we looked at other people's blessings, if we thought about it and reflected on upon it, we would say, okay, yes, 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 that's the grace of God working in their life. God blessed them in that way. God chose to move them in that way. God chose to do it. We, we would get there, okay? But Saul, what happens for him is that he knows without a shadow of a doubt that it is the hand of God upon David for why David is so successful. It tells us in verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. And, so, and when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. And other verses tell us that Saul, Saul, that Saul, Saul, the hand of the Lord, the way that God had made him prosperous and successful, Saul knew that it was God's grace being poured out on him. That it wasn't from David, that it was an action of the Lord. And the tragedy of Saul is that Saul sees God's grace pours, poured out on another. And he hates not only David, but he also hates God himself. And seeing the grace of God, it does not breed repentance on Saul's part, but jealousy and resentment of God. God, how could you bless him? I hate that you are not doing that for me. God, why are you not blessing him? You should bless me in the way that you have blessed him. You should do this. And it is the jealous heart that declares that I would make a better ruler 
than the ruler of the universe. As Paul Tripp writes, for Saul, his heart consumed by jealousy, jealousy of David must have what he has, resentment, hatred towards God, all of these things tiled together. He hates David. He hates God. And the one thing that Saul needed to do was the one thing that Saul was unwilling to do, and that was to repent, to come before the Lord and say, Lord, you who put me in this position, Lord, you alone are the source of blessing. Lord, you alone are the source of security, of wealth, of joy and happiness. Lord, all that I am, all that I have, the very fact that I'm in the position that I am right now, regardless of the things that I have done, the only reason that I'm in this position is because you have put me here and because of the blessings that you have given to me. And God, I confess to you that I have tried to get these blessings by being bigger and badder and taller and more successful. I've tried to get it all on my own, yet, Lord, I confess to you that as one for Saul, that as, as, as a person who has more, more of anything than any person in Israel, I confess to you, Lord, that that does not compare with knowing you. That is not a substitute for your grace, for your approval. It's not a substitute. It doesn't compare with your blessing, with the presence of your spirit, with trusting and resting in you alone, because you alone not only are the source of blessing in my life, but you alone can be the source of blessing in my life. And for Saul, the one thing that he needed to do, he would not do. In my own life, despite growing, going to church every week, hearing lots of the Bible stories, hearing about what Jesus did, what changed my life was one night when I had a close friend share with me very pointedly and clearly that a relationship with God is not based upon what I do, but is only based upon what Jesus Christ has done through his death and resurrection. That Jesus Christ lived the life that I should have lived, but I didn't live. And that on the cross, everything that is wrong with me, not only the wrongs that I have done, but everything that is wrong with me, everything that is unacceptable about me, everything that is unworthy about me, all of those things, my whole record is nailed to the cross on Jesus Christ. And what is more amazing is that the very, at the very same time, everything that is good about Jesus, everything that is right and beautiful about him, his perfect record, how he is wholly acceptable before God, how he is wholly approved by God, how he is wholly regarded and, and delighted by God. Everything that is good about Jesus Christ is transferred to me, is credited to my account. And there on the cross, my wrong and his right get exchanged with one another by putting my trust in him and him alone. And it was that truth that not only changed my life, but continues to change my life. That not only when I finally understood this and first put my trust in Christ, but so to today as I continue to do so, my hope and confidence is that I stand as one here today who is approved. And the reason why I'm approved is that I'm approved by God because I am in Christ. I am accepted by God because I am in Christ, not because of anything I have done, but only and wholly because of what Jesus Christ 
has done and in whose loving care I rest and find my peace and contentment. And since I turned and centered my life on Christ instead of on myself, and since I turned to find my rest and contentment and my worth and value in Christ instead of trying to steal it from the successes of other people and the blessings in other people's lives, what happened is that instead of my life continuing to have this rot that eats away at my soul and at my body, what happened instead is that joy started to spring up in my life. And that where there was rot, that began to be replaced with joy and meaning and knowing that my complete worth and value comes in Jesus Christ alone. And much to my surprise, God replaced jealousy with joy in my life, and, I, and it surprised me. Because what happened is that if I had it now, and then when it first started to happen, is that if I had a friend or a family member who excelled or beat me at something, or who excelled at something that was therefore meant that I got diminished, it's that I was no longer bitter. But instead, there was actually and truly an actual joy to rejoice and to celebrate with them and to celebrate God's grace in their life. And at the same time, when someone fails, and even fails to my benefit, to genuinely, and not manipulatively, not falsely, but to genuinely sorrow at their loss. And God has given the freedom to do that because he has instilled joy in me because my hope and joy, my worth, my value, my significance is found not in comparing myself to other people, but it is found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And it may very well be that jealousy is rotting away your soul and rotting away your body. Could it be something else? Maybe. It's possible. There's other, there's other things that destroy us. Jealousy's not the only one. <laughs> but the answer's the same. And it may be that you don't even realize it to be that. That you used to feel that it's a matter of injustice. But there is a resentment and a bitterness of how you are disturbed by other, other success and delighted by their failure. And you've got this resentment and this bitterness and this anger and this hatred that you seek to contain. Maybe towards your spouse, towards a sibling, towards a coworker. Maybe it's towards someone that you've never met, but it's this person in your mind. You know, it's that girl that has it all together, whose life always goes well for, that you have this picture in your mind and you hate that person whether or not they exist or not, but there is this resentment that is going on inside of you and that is saying, God, why isn't my life like theirs? God, why haven't you done this? Why don't I look like what they have? And this resentment and bitterness continues to eat away. But brothers and sisters, joy is not found in getting those things. And if you get them, you would, you'll find that it was completely empty like it was for Saul. No, joy and life to the rot in your life comes only through Jesus Christ. And it comes through Jesus Christ when we turn to him and repent and trust in him and rest in him alone. And to say, the reason why I'm accepted, the reason why I'm approved is, praise the Lord, it's not because of me, but it's wholly because of him. For it is in Christ Jesus that God has given to you and bestowed upon you 
the unfathomable riches of his glory. And he has given you everything that you need for life and for joy and for godliness. So yes, may we, may we rest. But may we find our rest and may we find our joy in Jesus and in him alone. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we worship you. And Father, we praise you that you see the rot in our lives that we're even, maybe not even that we don't see, but Lord, sometimes that we're even too scared to see. And Lord, not only do you see it and do you know it, but Father, you died so that you would give us life instead of death. Father, you died so that you would save us not only from sin, death, and the devil, but Lord, that you would save us from ourselves. And Lord, thank you that you see these things and know these things and the wonderful truth that not only is our guilt and shame and our, our guilt and shame removed, but Lord, you have bestowed upon us the riches of Christ. Lord, that you have made us approved and accepted not because of us, but wholly because of him. Lord, may that truth enwrap our hearts. Lord, may that truth fill our souls. Lord, may that truth give joy to the rot that has been eating us away. Lord, may that truth give us joy that we might give life in our homes, in our families, and in our workplace. For the honor of your name we pray. We have a great high priest who is before the throne on our behalf for his glory. Worship him. Stand, please. 